Hello and welcome to the Popcorn Brothers. My name's Eli. I'm Isaac. And we're here to talk to you about movies, bringing you the latest and greatest every single week from the theaters, from classics to trailers, and what other BS that we want to talk about every single week. Isaac, how are you this week? I'm good. I've been sick, so thankfully I'm feeling a little bit better. I think I sound a little better today, so that's good. <laughs> I can definitely tell. I didn't get to talk to you, but we pushed this back because you were sick, and that's a that's a big thing. You don't get sick. How did you get sick? No, I really don't. I that's what I kind of thought the same thing. I don't like to go around bragging about it because I feel like that's like asking for bad luck. But I really don't ever hardly get sick. And um, I I think it was the weather. We had not like a cold snap, but it got a little cooler. It almost got fall-like at one point at the end of last week. So I think that probably just changed some of the bloomings or something that's going on and it hasn't rained here in a while so i'm sure the pollen is built up or it changed and i you know have bad outdoor allergies typically so i think it was just something like that i've had some sort of like congestion vague cold type thing going on for a few days but i actually feel a lot better today than i did the last two days so that's good wow that was an insane amount of detail you are (laughs) i definitely i'm a good patient if i go to the Oh, by the way, okay, so I called it this one time, actually recently. I, somebody was, like, sick or whatever, and I was like, are you going to go to a doc in the box, which is what our dad calls, like, you're not your primary healthcare provider. That's what he calls the, like, minute clinics is a doc in the box, and I used that. And all my friends were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, when you just go to, like, the minute clinic or the walk-in clinic, and they were like, no, you just call it a walk-in clinic, idiot. And I was like, oh, that's what we call it as a doc in the box. Yeah, Maybe nobody else true. thought that that's was funny, funny but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I see it for its humor. I appreciate the story. Well, uh, are you ready to jump in? Yeah, we can go right on into it here. All right. So... Did you want to talk about that whole Boots, Riley, and Black Klansman situation since uh, we talked oh. about it in the last episode? Uh... I didn't really have much to say about it, except for I wasn't that surprised. I did also hear that Boots, Riley is a he's a little bit of a rabble rouser sometimes yeah. and I can, and we almost kind of even had leaned into that a little bit. I felt like in the podcast mm-hmm. where we kind of talked about, we didn't know what was necessarily true or false. And I can certainly understand his point of view on some of those yeah. uh, points. And so it's kind of like, it kind of rides this weird little line there, you know? Yeah. I think he makes, I mean, he makes decent arguments about black Klansmen, but I think at the same time, it's coming coming from him with who he is and how he acts and the art he makes. Like, like it's it's just it's just a funny, you know, it makes it makes sense. It's like it's almost like too convenient. And you can see that like it's coming from a place of like you made a movie that is like honestly not as good and like a little bit all over the place and you're young and you're trying to make an impact. Like I think it plays into the character he's trying to build for himself as a director more so than actually like right. anything else. I think that you can, I don't know, I think that, I, I, well, I am just always of the opinion, I guess, that there's a lot of gray areas around anything, and especially with art, and especially when you get into talking about serious major themes, especially when it has to do with representation or controversial elements like that, is, and also with history. So it's always very difficult to kind of figure out where you want to place your how you want to address those things it's never i don't really think it's ever that easily done and it's always of course difficult to appease everyone because not everybody has the same opinion on things so yeah 
yeah, that makes sense to me too. I think that's a good point. But yeah, so I thought that was, it was just an interesting thing that happened and, you know, corresponding with our, and so if people didn't uh, see it, Boots Riley had some pointed criticism about Spike Lee's Black Klansman movie. Uh, yeah, and it is Boots hilarious. Riley that having we... made uh, that, uh, sorry to bother you, yeah. Yeah, and it's hilarious that we literally predicted something like this might happen and basically had the same points to say about both sides. Yeah, that was week. kind of interesting. Oh, I we said are, interesting. Sorry. You did. <laughs> Strike one. All right. Replace the word interesting. For those who don't know, we are no longer using the word interesting on this podcast because it's vague and nondescript. And Isaac, what did you mean when you said interesting? I meant intriguing. It was uh, intriguing okay. that there was sort <laughs> of uh, differing opinions on that and how Boots Riley kind of called out Spike Lee and... You know, that sort of thing, I guess. It was... Yeah, I think it's... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I don't it's know. I just want to say interesting. It's fascinating. Or yes. Um... Yes. There's a good one. But you have to say why. You have to say why. So I think it's fascinating that we're on the nose of culture at this point, man. We are literally... Okay. Like, <laughs> That's we were, a lot we of tooting horns here. We were on A-game tooting horn. Yes, podcast A-plus, best podcast ever. If you're listening, you they already know it's true. So... Let's, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about that, though. You ready to jump in now? Well, I guess that segs well into our This Week at the Movies, which I feel like I saw, I saw this movie an entire week ago at this point now. So it seems like it's been a long time. But we're going to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Which you also yes, we went are. and saw. I did. I also saw this uh, very late at night at the Paradiso. And um, I thought it was pretty good, but... We should go ahead and uh, introduce it, I guess, a little bit. It's based on a book, right, Isaac? You know more about this. Uh, so yes, it's based on a popular novel. Um, but this movie is mostly notable because um, it is a sort of big screen studio film. Mm -hmm. And it is the first movie that has come out in 25 years, I think, or maybe a little longer than that, since 1993, that features a predominantly Asian cast. Uh, and they basically make it up the cast exclusively because yeah. the movie is, uh, it's about a woman who's a professor who is a, the daughter of immigrants. I think she's a first generation American. She may not even yeah. be American. Um, but she meets this guy and she's in love with her boyfriend and she goes with her boyfriend back to Singapore for a, the wedding of a really close friend um, and so she's meeting his family and it turns out that he is very, very rich, like royal family, almost rich. <laughs> and, um, there's a lot that ensues from that sort of to see whether or not her, his family thinks that she's good enough for him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good summary. It's a rom-com. Uh, and I actually really liked it. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed the fact that it sort of doesn't fit into the traditional mold of what I would say a rom-com is, which is like, will the guy and the girl get together in the end or not? It sort of does have that element, but they're already together and they're already very much in love. So there's not that aspect of it. You know what I mean? Like when you see rom-coms most of the time, you're supposed to quote unquote wonder whether or not they're going to get together in the end, which if you know a rom-com, you know that they're going to get together in the end. So it sort of ruins that whole 
aspect of it. And so the film has to play on other merits instead of that. It feels like the tension always goes out when I watch a rom-com because I usually just assume they're going to get together in the end. So Mm -hmm. where's the tension in that most of the time, but this one did a really nice job with sort of turning that story around and that there was some actual tension as to whether or not they might stay together essentially. Um, And I actually thought it was really funny um, it had some really fun characters and uh, some interesting things and sort of just the outrageous amount of money that the family had was sort of enjoyable. That sort of aspect of the fantasy of a rom-com typically was brought into it well because it was just so over the top. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, um, all the characters and all the actors and actresses that played in this movie were actually excellent. Like I didn't have a problem with anything yeah there could have been i guess there could have been like more depth here or there necessarily but then again like i don't think that's what this movie was going for so i don't feel like it's it's a rom-com i mean yeah yeah it's not fair to fault them on that point and i just i just think it did everything really well and was really interesting it did it did skip a lot of the like boring part of a rom-com that's so just like plagiarized and uh, generic cliche at this point yeah like generic so it it just like it was a fun watch and it prevented me from having to like worry about all that garbage that you see every single time you watch a rom-com that's similar with a similar story. And it, uh, it's kind of like great Gatsby esque too. Like it really does remind me a lot of actually watching the great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. So it, um, I don't know. It was just good. It's hard to, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's really enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's no, you know, I don't think it's necessarily best picture worthy or, uh, it's not, you know, some great piece of, artwork but you're exactly right too that the actors did a really great job i think constance Wu was great i think michelle yo who played uh the boyfriend's dad mom excuse me was really great too um she's more known for i think she was in crouching tiger hidden dragon i think she's the main person in crouching tiger hidden dragon which is kind of cool but um and then aquafina you know had a little fun bit as the best friend there but yeah. <laughs> which you right, recognize her from Ocean's 8, which was fun. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really enjoyable and I thought it was a good movie. And it really spoke to, and I will say too, based on that, it was the, I don't know if it was number one the first weekend it came out, but it basically, I think it was. I think it's been number one for two weekends in a row actually now. And the second weekend, it only dropped 6% from its opening weekend, which is an insane hold from week to week. So it basically didn't drop any, it made the same amount of money the second week as the first week, which is super crazy. Um, and I think that people are really responding to it and I think they're having a good time with it. But I also, it just goes to show you that it is important a lot of times for people to feel represented and to see that on screen. And that also you can craft a story that just because somebody isn't necessarily Asian or isn't of Asian descent with this movie, I think they can still enjoy it and they can still appreciate it. But then at the same time, it's important for people who are of minorities. And I've spoken about this before because I associate with a certain group, but it's important for those people to see themselves on screen and to, to feel like they can associate with characters sometimes. Inclusion is absolutely critical and is it somehow ignored or overlooked far too often in movies. And I, I notice it regularly now at this point that sometimes it's like really weak and, you know, characters based on their, whether it be their skin color or anything else are like 
crafted into roles that are similar to other characters that existed by people that it just there's a garbage trend in Hollywood that we're they're trying to push away from and I, I'm sure more of it than ever is like they're doing a good job of pushing away from that and I just really am pleased to see it happen and like this is I mean this isn't the first all Asian cast in a major production no i mean the joy luck club came out i think in 1993 but i mean we haven't really seen that since then and there's a lot of some people have some criticism for joy luck club and then it's kind of it doesn't really reflect necessarily how some people experience it in america how some asians experience america but you know that was a long Mm -hmm. time ago and but you can read all about that on the internet if you're interested in that but yeah I, i i kind of thought i did like Certainly, I think Constance Wu, the main character, it almost sort of, the movie sort of frames it as maybe she's almost like not Asian enough in a way, Yeah. which I feel like a couple of years ago, if they had made this movie, they could have just put a, like, they would almost, I was like thinking I would have been terrified if they had changed the movie and just made that like a white girl instead because it almost seems like it was close enough that they would be like, well, we can get away with just making the main character white. And it's like, it's still important that, that, that they didn't do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely important. All right. Uh, that's all I got to say about that. I think everyone should go see it. If you've got some spare time, like it's fun. Yeah. It's really enjoyable. I think, especially if you like rom-coms, you'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and it's really good. I think it's just a good movie too. Yeah. Agreed. All right, uh, Mission Impossible. I didn't see this. Isaac, what do you think? I saw Mission Impossible Fallout. My brother was dying to go. My Our other brother was dying to go. Uh, so we went and saw it. It was really good. The action scenes were really well done. It, had, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot, actually, and action movies are not necessarily my thing. Um, I won't sit here and tell you it's some great piece of writing that has super you know great acting in it or anything like that but it was a lot of fun a well done action movie kept me on the edge of my seat i really enjoyed that aspect of it cool and was the plot uh, interesting or was it cliche that's the one big thing i I, I didn't think it was not cliche well i will tell you uh, well i don't know if i want i don't want to spoil the movie but i certainly figured something out quickly that i didn't know whether i was supposed to figure that out or if it was supposed to be a twist but i figured it out pretty quickly so i don't know i felt like it wasn't super original in terms of plot but it was interesting because it felt like the plot was about a lot of different um groups and the allegiances were very shifting they were always constantly moving and there were a lot of different allegiances throughout the movie. And sometimes people would work together surprisingly just because they were against this one thing happening for a little bit and then they would flip around. And so people, different people working together and you didn't know who was good and who was bad. And it was a lot, there was a lot of gray in there. And so that was kind of fun too. Yeah. It's a true espionage movie, which is nice. I like, I always like watching that. All right, uh, you ready to do the trailer watch? Let's do it. All right, every week you hear a sound. And we watch a trailer. This week we have the Suspiria trailer number one. So if you are driving, don't stop driving. If you're not driving, pull up Movie Clips trailers on YouTube and check out the Suspiria trailer number one and get spooked. We'll be right back after this short beat.
All right, we are back. We just watched the Suspiria trailer number one. Isaac, what'd you see? Uh, it looks like a scary movie to me. Oh, not just any scary movie. This looks like an excellent <laughs> scary movie, full of like witchcraft. I'm definitely getting um, what what was the um, oh oh what was it called? Oh, the best Coven vibes. Oh, you're getting Coven? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> American, no American Horror Story here. Uh, no, it's, oh, what is it? It's called? not campy enough for that. I know what you're talking about. What is it called? So important. That hereditary. So hereditary, dude. It definitely. So there aren't many horror, good horror movies every year, but this one looks like it's right up there, and you can tell it's good if you look at the logo. Did you see the logo at the end of the trailer? Oh yes. Well, oh, it is gosh. a remake. It's a remake oh, really? of it, which oh, that the logo gives me very like '60s sort of like yeah, old it's like, school. It's kind of retro, so I was like, "Oh, that makes sense," because I yeah. I actually knew this was a remake, but it has a hippie horror vibe, like a certain type of pop art that is no longer yes, like modern, exactly. but looks really cool and throwbacky. Yeah, no, I am so hype on this. Everything about it looks really cool, and. I um, it looks like it does the creep right without having to overdo the cheesiness, and movies. It's hard to balance that in horror movies, and this one with the like the whole like um classical dancing or ballet yes, performance like yeah. aspect. It's already so weird, even in real life. Like normally, it's already weird <clears throat> to me, and it just like it's it's a perfect fit for any well, yeah. of, like, creepy vibe. I mean, it's definitely why Black Swan worked, and probably why it will work here too, because. I mean, it's sort of just such a fascinating world that most of us aren't privy to. And it involves sometimes such dark thematic elements and dark, almost psychological aspects to pursuing something like that. Like we talked about a lot in Black Swan, but yeah, it definitely makes sense why it would be sort of uh, invoked here too. Yeah. Okay. But for those who didn't get to watch the trailer, what, what we saw was a, uh, the lead actress here. What's her name, Isaac? Her name's Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Most well-known for Fifty Shades of Grey. She's also Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith's daughter. (laughs) Who is Don Johnson? Well, he was in... um, He (laughs) plays a slave owner in um, Django Unchained, but I'm pretty sure he was on, like, Miami Vice or uh, Starsky and Hutch or one of those old-school TV shows, like... I don't remember which one, but that is who that is. (laughs) That's who Don Johnson is. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyways, uh, Dakota Johnson is, uh, has joined or is trying to join. I think already has joined, right? A dance. It's sort of like she's in it. It's either a dance troupe or it's a school or something to that effect. Clearly this dance troupe or school or whatever it is, is led by witches and they find evidence (laughs) of that. And there are ceremonies going on with weird hook related objects that are clearly people are getting myrtled out there. There are people getting murdered. There are people myrtled. myrtled. There are people floating up on the ceiling, like all sorts of weird crap is going on. And I'm really excited and it's very tense and clearly Dakota Johnson knows what's up and is trying to make a deal with these witch ladies. And the rest of the dancers are just there to get Myrtle. So I'm very excited to see this. It, is, it does look very interesting. It's sort of fascinating. Fascinating. Look at that. I said interesting and then I changed it to fascinating again. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on in horror with these very artistic horror movies that we have coming out? I think that Get Out really started a 
sort of um, auteur renaissance in our horror movies, which is kind of cool because I like that. I don't even like horror in the first place most of the time, but I will go see one if it feels elevated. Wouldn't a lot of these have already been in production, though, before Get Out? Not necessarily. I remember when Suspiria, the remake for this one, I remember when it was announced, and it wasn't that long ago, I don't think. Maybe. (laughs) I I would like to believe that that is the case. And whether or not it was the case that these were in production before or after Get Out, since then, it's been very obvious that there have been a lot of good films come out. I think people feel like, I think that, Sort of artistic filmmakers feel like they can get that greenlit. And I think that they think that people will go see it. I mean, it kind of was the same way. I never, I didn't see it, but it, it was, I mean, based on critical response, it feels like that was also an elevated work to some extent, at least. So, um, yeah, I think it's having a little moment here. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, my final jurisdiction, my final verdict is that I will absolutely be going to see this movie just like Hereditary and get out. And I'm pumped. 100%. I will probably watch it through my fingers covering my face, just like parts <laughs> of Hereditary, but I will probably go see it. Yeah. Either through your fingers or floating from the ceiling because the witches will get you. They'll get you. Oh, boys. They'll get you. All right. Um, yeah. So that's it for the trailer watch this week. And Without further ado, I think it's time that we jump into um, your movie this week, Isaac. Up in the air. Yes, up in the air. Okay, so, up in the air. Uh, (laughs) 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 I guess I'm going to introduce it here. Um, So, Up in the Air is a movie that came out in 2009. I actually remember going to this movie at the movies. I went by myself, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of... of, Strong, independent man. I'm not a, I'm not afraid to go to the movies by myself. I do it fairly frequently if nobody else is interested in going to see whatever movie that I want to go see. I do know that I wanted to go see this movie. Nobody else wanted to go see it, so I went by myself. I think do think it was the first movie I ever saw by myself. Uh, I, did, I did that with 8th grade. I don't know what the first movie I saw by myself was, though. But I th- do think that's kind of interesting considering the some of the themes of this movie, too, which we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this movie sure is happy. That's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I don't maybe you think it's more bleak than I think that it is. I don't think it's as bleak as it could be. It's certainly okay. direct and it's real. But uh, but I. I don't know. Maybe maybe I get that. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, so Up in the Air is from 2009. It was uh, written and directed by Jason Reitman, uh, who is known for Thank You for Smoking, if you've seen that, or if you've seen Juno. I kind of think that Juno is where he sort of hit his big point. This came after that, and sort of the movies he's done since then haven't been as well-received, but I think most people know what Juno is and have probably heard about it at least. Uh, it was written by Jason Reitman and Sheldon Turner. It is based on a novel. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of interesting to think about the timing of this film because we were talking about how this film's kind of depressing, and certainly the movie, because it's about a person who fires people for a living... So this movie came out in 2009, which we all know is right after the huge economic downturn sort of recession started in 2008. So the timing of this movie, I feel like definitely fit within the climate of what was going on at that time, which is kind of interesting, but it's not interesting. Well, (laughs) it is, um, 
It, how is it interesting? It's poignant because it the movie came out at a time when this movie then reflects what's actually going on versus when the book was written several years before and even Jason Reitman sort of started trying to kick it around a little before that. Yeah. Uh, it was way before then. So it almost feels like it... I feel like if this movie hadn't come out then, it wouldn't have made sense in the same way. It wouldn't have fit as well as it did, I think. Okay. And maybe it wouldn't have even captured those elements or captured those feelings as well as, you know, if it had come out during a time when the economy is doing well, it wouldn't have resonated in such a same, in such the same way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. If that makes sense. It's a lot about work. It definitely goes into the idea of like a job and the value in a job and what you do when you get fired and how people feel about that and how they react. Well, I mean, yeah, those things are definitely going to come up. A lot of it has to do with sort of uh, your work-life balance, I think. Um, Your opinion about your work-life balance, um, sort of also how people can be defined by their career or how sometimes I think people let their career define themselves. And I think that that's um, an important aspect of it too. And then sort of the way that people, um, how people relate to the people around them and um, and how their job can affect that or how, you know, just the way that people's relationships are. And, um, and this one sort of does it from a work perspective in a way, but I think it has a bigger message about people and their relationships in general also too. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that was really all I have for the background and production. There's not a lot that goes in, like I kind of read Wikipedia and I read the IMDb and some things like that. I don't think there's a lot to it. It was shot very quickly, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, But it's not, you know, it's not a huge, big budget um, production. I don't think there. It was sort of a a project that uh, Jason Reitman clearly was very interested in doing and brought it together and made it happen. And I think it's, uh, it's actually really enjoyable and I forget how much I enjoy it until I'm always watching it. I just really think the movie is funny. I think it's really, uh, it has some good things to say too. And I think that I just, well, I also would say that I probably, which we'll get into this too. I really like several of the actors that are in it. And I think that the acting in this movie is very important and it's almost, it's really kind of make it or break it in a way actually that we might not have even discussed on this podcast before necessarily is a movie that really, if the right people had not been cast would be completely different and it wouldn't even be the same product at the end of the day. So, um, for one thing I can tell you for sure. I don't like sad Clooney. I like happy Clooney, sad Clooney, not as entertaining. I'm going to be upfront about this. I would actually say though, that a watch, I have plenty to say about Clooney in general, (laughs) but to me, I am not sure. I think this is Clooney at his absolute best that I've ever seen. Wow. Actually. That's bold. Actually, Ocean's Eleven. So, Ocean's Eleven exists, Isaac. I'm aware. Is? I'm aware of the entire Ocean's franchise. But yes, I actually would. And which we should get into that a little later. I have a whole sort of segment planned about talking about the actors and how they fit into this and what they sort of bring to the table there. So okay. I think we should go ahead and explore the plot. Um so basically this movie is about 
a character named Ryan Bingham, who is played by George Clooney. Uh, he works for sort of a consulting firm, and he basically gets paid to travel the country and fire people when their boss doesn't want to do it, essentially. Um, yes. So he spends Including his... Zach Galifianakis. Yes, at one point, Zach Galifianakis and J.K. Simmons are both fired by George Clooney in this mm-hmm. movie, each of them only being allowed one scene at that time, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, and he, so the Ryan, uh, spends most of his time traveling almost all the time. Basically, uh, the only time that we see him at his house, he has a little, basically undecorated one bedroom, sort of not even one bedroom studio apartment, uh, that's completely basically unfurnished. He doesn't live there. I think he says in the movie, he spends less than 50 days a year at home. And actually Ryan likes that though. He enjoys traveling. He enjoys not being connected to anybody in his life. Uh, at one point he does come home and he talks to his neighbor who it kind of, it alludes to a casual relationship that he and his neighbor have. Uh, but she went and found a boyfriend probably because Ryan's never around and she would like to have some sort of human connection, I assume. Yeah, I would think so too. Yeah. You know, he's just really good at putting everything in a backpack and then putting, taking everything out of the backpack again yes actually that's a a point to be made also he kind of doubles as a quote-unquote motivational speaker although the actual motivational aspect of that is probably debatable because he basically motivational yeah he basically gives speeches about how people shouldn't have things and they shouldn't have relationships because it just weighs you down and it you know it fills up your backpack too much and it is burdensome to you essentially um people and houses and relationships and everything dead weight anything you own is dead weight get rid of it you don't need it which the first time that he gives the speech is kind of funny because you're kind of going along with him you're like oh yeah stuff materialism that's not good and then he's like well what about your relationships oh you don't need those either and it's like oh wait wait a minute so <laughs> yeah and the poor saps are all like he's exactly right as oh gosh yeah, i know it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway so we've basically established here ryan uh constantly addicted to traveling he loves he loves that aspect most people i know including myself i've only been on one or two business trips i think in my entire career it's just the worst sometimes it's not an enjoyable like living in hotels, eating by yourself in restaurants. A lot of people would not say that was an enjoyable experience, but Ryan loves it. Yeah, he does, and he's got to get to a million miles, man. And that's also a part of the movie. His goal is to essentially become the seventh and youngest person to earn ten million frequent flyer miles with American Airlines. Um, so one aspect of this that comes along pretty early also is that. During his travels, uh, Ryan meets a woman whose name is Alex, and she sort of, it's never said what sort of job she does, but she's kind of like him. She's constantly traveling, always on the the move, um, working, you know, has 10,000 different cards for all the different, you know, uh, car rentals and airlines and hotels and all that stuff. And they have a very, uh, the first time they meet, they have a very flirty, chemistry between the two of them so they end up starting a casual relationship as well they try to uh conveniently meet up in the same places so that they can uh enjoy some time together essentially 
Yeah. Alex is played by Vera Farmiga, by the way, from Bates Motel, if anybody watched that, which I think you did, right? I did, yeah. I liked all of Bates Motel that I saw. I need to finish it. I don't actually I think know. I only watched three episodes. And I am a huge Hitchcock fan, which is so funny, but I couldn't get into it. Maybe I need to try it again. Yeah, I don't think I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, but I did really like the TV show up to the point that I saw it when it was out. But I know it's like there's multiple seasons beyond what I saw, so who knows if it's actually good or not. Uh, so aside from this casual relationship with Alex and traveling all over the country firing people, um, at one point Ryan gets called back to home base in Omaha, and he is introduced to a new hire at his company, well, his boss, Jason Bateman, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, introduces I love, I love Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman's amazing. Oh, but he's so gross in this movie. <laughs> he is. He's good at being gross. He's like... He's the perfect balance between like professional and trustworthy and absolutely gross in such a weird way. And I'm so excited for Ozark season two, which is about to come out. Yeah, it was a real interesting, it's an interesting turn he has here. But um, so he gets called back to meet the new hire, whose name is Natalie. Uh, she's played by Anna Kendrick. And Natalie is a recent graduate from an Ivy League school that I can't recall at this red hot second. But uh, so she basically has introduced all these this big new idea that basically Ryan's job and all the other people who also work for this firm uh, can essentially, they won't have to travel anymore and save the company a ton of money by just firing everybody through the video by like Skyping basically. And uh, Ryan quickly, he's really against this a lot. He doesn't like it because we all know it's going to ruin his sort of perfect lifestyle that he loves so much. And he says, you know, Natalie doesn't know anything about this. He doesn't, she doesn't know what I really do. She can't handle it like I can. It's never going to work across the internet like that. So, but his boss is really not having any of that. He says, well, fine, you show Natalie the ropes and then maybe we can bring this. He still wants to do the video conferencing, but he sort of challenges Ryan to either prove him wrong by showing that Natalie can't handle what the job entails or that the video conferencing won't work and to sort of bring her into the fold, essentially. Um, so Natalie comes with Ryan and they start traveling around um, and they don't really get along. I think that they don't see eye to eye in a lot of different ways. Certainly Ryan is a very, uh, he's very off oh, on his Ryan. own, independent, um, not very warm. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, more so Ryan knows that, for one, his livelihood, what he cares about is, cares about most is being threatened by this person that doesn't even understand the impact of the decisions that they're reaching for this company. It's like, clearly, it clearly doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. But not because Ryan cares about the people that they're firing either, just because he cares about himself. That's exactly right, too. Um, and an important aspect of it, um, certainly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, essentially, so Natalie and Ryan do not get off on the best foot. Obviously, that makes sense because she's threatening his livelihood, essentially, to some extent. Um, and she's way out of her element in this whole traveling thing. It's kind of funny. I love the scene where they're go- they're leaving for the first time and she packs this ridiculous suitcase and all the stuff that she doesn't need. And Ryan sort of is showing her the ropes and sort of being a big smart aleck about it, about all the different ways, all the different trips and tricks and tips that he knows. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And Natalie is just completely repulsed by all by Ryan and the way that he his sort of his attitude on life and the way that he views other people and his sort of existence with other people, I think, too, almost. It's almost like Ryan is completely inconvenienced by everybody else all the time. And Natalie just calls him out on that to some extent. Um, Because it almost seems like if Ryan could choose to be on his own completely, like the only person left in the world, he would probably choose that. Yeah, I I can see that. Um, So during one of the trips, actually pretty quickly into the trip, uh, (laughs) Natalie is dumped by her boyfriend, uh, a boy that she actually reveals that she moved to Omaha for... She turned down some great job off in San Francisco. Like, Natalie had big plans, and this guy just dumps her. Uh, And this is sort of a fun... This is sort of one of my favorite parts, is when she does get dumped, and she's sort of crying about it in the lobby of this hotel. And at the same time, Ryan had already made plans with Alex for (laughs) to meet up with her, and he... Ryan almost feels, like, trapped into helping Natalie through this sort of moment of crisis that she's having yep. despite the fact that he doesn't care. It's not really, it doesn't seem like he cares to any extent, but he sort of feels like he has to help her through it. Um, so they have this fun scene where they talk about expectations, which this part was really interesting to me too about relationships. And because Natalie is so young and she, you know, lays out this huge master plan she had and how this guy was perfect because X, Y, Z, he like, checked all the boxes on her list. But we sort of see that Natalie has unrealistic expectations about how relationships should be and how life should be and how things should go for her, mm-hmm. which yeah. is real. It's, I mean, yeah. you remember what that insanely, was like. She has an insanely detailed plan of exactly what she wants and expects from her future as if she could ever find that, like, you know. Yeah, that, and we're talking to two people dream. who are, have long forgotten those sort of ideals that they might've had and what they were striving for. It seems like anyway. Um, But so that's just, it's a fun, the whole Alex and Natalie dynamic is interesting because they're sort of both women. And there's a lot of talk about how uh, I think there's some, there's not a lot, but some brief talking about how women are viewed in the workplace too, to some extent. Um. And what's expected of women. Uh, And then, of course, we have Natalie and Ryan playing off each other as well, because they just sort of have completely different ideals as well. Yeah. Um, So Natalie is shown sort of some basic uh, firings, essentially. She watches Ryan fire a couple of people. Um, And Natalie's a fast learner. She's very smart, but... You know, she doesn't necessarily respond in the same way that Ryan, like Ryan is, you know, he's experienced and uh, Natalie's not. And we do get the scene with J.K. Simmons where he uh, doesn't respond well to his firing and he takes it out on Natalie to some extent. Uh, Yeah. But we see that Ryan fixes it. Ryan's actually very good at what he does, um, even if he doesn't care. But so Natalie starts to learn quickly. Um, and sort of right when Natalie's broken up with, so this, they, I think they're in Miami 
and Alex and Natalie and Ryan spend the evening together. They go out to a party that they're not really supposed to go to, but they get drunk. And so Alex and Ryan's relationship is very out in the open for Natalie to see. And Natalie gets the idea that Ryan and Alex should be together and that it's more serious than either of them is really letting on, which we've mostly seen Alex and Ryan's relationship is very flirty, very fun, but nothing too serious. And we know that Ryan doesn't want anything serious at the same time, but it sort of seems like those walls are coming down. Uh, Mm-hmm. And that maybe this is a relationship that Ryan can get behind because it feels like Alex and him match up very well. That they sort of get each other in a way that other people might not. So um, Natalie sort of confronts Ryan about that and it doesn't go well. Ryan shuts it down. He says, no, that's not what I want. You know, yada, yada, yada. But Natalie sort of pushes him, pushes back against that and says, oh, that's, you do or that people need that or you need that. And he, Ryan still clings to the fact that he doesn't need that. He's very happy on his own and with his lifestyle, but that causes a sort of rift between Natalie and Ryan as much as they were getting used to each other. It causes problems again. Yeah. 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 That's, these are all, yes, you're killing it. I don't even know what to add. Oh, well, I mean, you can add whenever you want. (laughs) So, um, but Ryan sort of takes that confrontation with Natalie to heart. And so he essentially invites Alex to his sister's wedding, which has sort of loomed over the whole movie. We don't really talk about it because it doesn't come up too much. Well, Ryan's they do been, have to take pictures of... Yeah. Right. They have to... He, Ryan's supposed to be using this cutout to take pictures of all his various places because his sister can't afford to go on a honeymoon. Apparently Ryan doesn't even know if he's going to go to this wedding. Eventually he relents at the last minute. He asks Alex to go with him to the wedding. Um, we see that he's not close with his family. He's not close to his two sisters. Um, ultimately though, sort of, Ryan and Alex connect while they're at the wedding even more than they were previously. It sort of seems like Ryan is maybe uh, melting his icy exterior and sort of starting to really fall for Alex, I think, a little bit. Um, And meanwhile, Ryan ends up saving the day. He has to save the day at the wedding because the groom has cold feet. So he sort of gives the opposite of his typical motivational speech, a real motivational speech about how when you think about the most important moments in your life, were you alone for them or were you with somebody? So he talks Mm. his future brother-in-law into marrying his sister, saves the day. Hooray. The wedding goes off without a hitch. It seems great. Um, He's going to go give one of his famous speeches at a convention. And Ryan sort of realizes that he really does. He's been changed. I think a little bit, he realizes that that speech isn't what he wants. So he impulsively flies to Alex's house in Chicago, sort of the most intense portion of the movie here coming up. Get ready for it, everybody. Um, He rings the doorbell. He's ready to probably confess his true feelings for Alex. uh, And she answers the door and you can hear kids and a husband in the background. Mm -hmm. And that's when the shoe drops, it seems like. And it's like, (laughs) uh uh-oh. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. I'm going to be real. Good, because I didn't see it coming either. And it feels like such a... It's actually... Let me tell you, that is an aspect of the movie, of this movie that it does really well. 
is that you really bought into it up to this point, and then you just get thrown for a complete loop in this part, I feel like. Because there has been nothing that suggests any of that from Alex before. And it's kind of interesting because we... um, We haven't seen Alex allude to that, and it seems... We, I think we've projected. You know what I mean? Natalie projected a lot onto Alex. And so Ryan started projecting a lot onto Alex. And then we just get surprised by this in such a way that it's a really interesting moment and sort of you don't even know what to do with it. And certainly Ryan doesn't know what to do with it. So he sort of runs away and doesn't... Uh, doesn't confront her essentially, uh, and her so her secret gets uh, saved. She does call him later, and she, you know, is confused. I think because Ryan and she thought Ryan and her had an agreement. You know, this is just a fun, casual thing, and she says, you know, that's my real life, and you're my escape. And then Ryan realizes that while he thought that he and Alex were the same they weren't the same because Ryan was being his true authentic self the whole time. This sort of compartmentalized. um, I cut off all communication with everybody and I just travel around on my own and that's all I have. He thought that Alex was the same way, but really that's just one portion of her that she displays while she's on the road. And then she gets to go, she goes home and she has kids and she has a husband who it seems like she wants to be with still. Um, so that's a huge, you know, I mean, because I think that Ryan was really into Alex and I think that he was wanting to find more with her and then that gets stopped dead in its tracks, basically. Yeah. Uh, Ryan does cross his 10 million mile mark. Uh, so they throw a celebration on the plane, actually on the way home from Chicago where he's run into Alex. Um, and Ryan isn't happy. You can tell he's not happy. He's not satisfied with this big celebration he's getting. And he thought that he wanted that. And now I think he's realizing that that's not, it's wasn't satisfying. Um, So he gets home. He has all these special perks. Now he eventually donates 500,000 miles each to his sister and his brother-in-law so they can travel around the world. Um, He comes back to his talk to his boss. His boss calls him. Uh, and his boss has been trying to get in touch with him. Uh, and he has some interesting news for Ryan. The video conferencing is on hold because one of the people that Ryan and Natalie had fired previously in the movie, sort of in the firing scene, see, she had said she was going to go jump off a bridge and Natalie had freaked out about it at the time. And Ryan said, you know, people just say that they're not really going to do that, yada, yada, yada. But it actually happened in this case. The woman actually did do that. So Natalie was so thrown by that, that she quit via text message, which they were very mad about. (laughs) Her her boss was mad about it anyway. Um, Because I think that throughout the movie to this point, we've seen that Natalie, this isn't going to make Natalie happy. So she went off to do something else instead. Uh, And then now Ryan's going to get to do what he at the beginning of the movie loved doing, which is traveling, keeping the status quo the same. And then, So he's presented a choice here at the end of the movie, either continue doing what he was doing before, I think, or maybe accept these new 
this new life he's started to pursue and that new things that are going to make him happy. I think Um, he helps Natalie get a job at the end in sort of a very double wears Prada copycat scene. I have to say Uh, where you think that Ryan's going to give her this terrible recommendation because she quit at the last minute and they never got along and he, she left via text message, but he gives her a glowing review of course, because she's so smart and so great. Just like in Devil Wears Prada. And then Ryan, the last scene, the film concludes with Ryan showing up to the airport with his suitcase. And so you kind of think he's just going to get on the plane and go, but he actually stands in front of the sign that says where all the flights are going. And it harkens back to a conversation he had with Natalie, where he asked her, if you could do anything, what would you do? And she said, I just go to the airport and pick a place and go. And I think that the the ending alludes to that that's what Ryan's going to do. He's just going to take a place and go with all his miles. So that's the plot. Sorry that I just ran through it like that, it seems like. <laughs> you did a really good job summarizing it. That might be the strongest plot summary that we've had on this show. And it made me sad, just like the movie made me sad. Even oh my God. End up sad, I just like, I have entered this state of like depressed emotions that I cannot avoid from like this movie. I don't know what it is about this movie. George Clooney just makes me so sad. Well, um, so I, I know that that might have not been so interesting, uh, just having the plot run through like that. It's, and it's kind of different from what we usually do, but I really feel like the movie should be talked about afterwards because it's almost like everything about this movie that I like just comes together as a whole product at the end, you know, yeah. like I, it just, I agree. everything works together. And so you should just be talking about it from a point of, you've seen the whole thing. And so you want to discuss the themes as they are throughout the movie. You want to discuss the acting as it is throughout the movie instead of as it goes along, sort of, I guess. Yeah, I actually feel that the first 75% of this movie to 85% maybe even are garbage and were not enjoyable when I was like, where is it going? Like, why do I care? Is it going to wrap up in any way that I find, like, you know, relatable? Like, is anything, like, this This could crash and burn was my thought for a long time watching this. I actually, I stopped it with like 30 minutes left and went, like, went out for the night and came back and finished the movie <laughs> because I was like, I just can't, I can't do this right now. Nothing, nothing is exciting or unique or fresh. But then like, it, it does wrap up so well in the end and really like hit hard on all the emotions that it's set up throughout the movie that it's a, uh, it's a it's a comeback. Yeah, kid. It, it gets really a big out. payoff at the end. Is exactly yeah. kind of the way that it goes. Which I almost thought about this. I tried to look at past in the past at some of the movies that we had done, and I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, it's either going to be Lady Bird and Eli's really going to like it, or it's going to be the kids are all right and he's really going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm somewhere in between. So Interesting. There's, there's a third. Yeah. There's a third. There's a third layer to my onion. Okay, so um, to jump into this again, like I was saying, I really feel like the strength of this movie and most of it is basically on the acting. If you didn't have the right people playing Ryan and Alex and Natalie, this movie would not have worked, I don't think. Um, So I wanted to kind of just talk about each one of those actors because I'm actually a fan in general of all three of them anyway and some of their other work that they've done. but to sort of break down each of the characters, because I think that that's important to the movie as well. It's kind of a character driven movie versus a plot driven movie almost. So 
I think that uh, that's important to talk about first. So obviously, I think we should start with Ryan, uh, so George Clooney. Um, and I found this quote from Jason Reitman, which if this quote does not basically sum up this whole aspect of George Clooney, I don't know what does. He basically said, if you're going to make a movie about a guy who fires people for a living and you still want to like him, that actor better be damn charming. And I don't think there's a more charming actor alive than George Clooney. I was very lucky he said yes. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, I don't know who else could have done it. I, I mean, and I actually, quite frankly, don't either. Um, there are very few people, and most of the time, I consider this a um, a detractor. So, for uh, me, a lot of times, actors who are so a list and so uh, sort of iconic outside of their acting. So, like George Clooney, or you know. Um, Brad Pitt is one of those people that I consider uh, Angelina Jolie or like Jennifer Aniston. I have a hard time seeing those people act sometimes because they're just so larger than life in the sense that I think of them as a celebrity rather than an actor that I don't always necessarily believe they're acting. And it takes a very talented actor actually sometimes for me to forget that. And for me, George Clooney portraying Ryan in this movie is one of those times that actually that it works Um, A lot of times I don't watch George Clooney nowadays and think, oh, he's a really great actor because I'm losing George Clooney into this character. And here I actually did that. I don't see George Clooney when I watch this movie. I see Ryan, which is a testament to George Clooney's abilities. And I think sometimes a fact that I overlook because it surprised me when I watched it again. I thought I'm never going to, you know, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I was like, I'm never going to think that oh, it's Ryan, I'm just going to be like, it's George Clooney. But I didn't think that, which is really a testament to his portrayal of the character. Yeah, you Um, know, I don't like Sad Clooney. Sad Clooney makes me very sad and is not as interesting to watch, in my opinion. But that is, I think that is something that I agree with in that he does a better good, does a better good, a better job becoming the character in this scenario than he does in a lot of his other movies when I just view him as George Clooney. I feel like here it seems like there's more depth and it's just, you know. Well, and I think it's because it actually is very subtle in a lot of ways, I think. Um, Sometimes George Clooney does a little bit, it's a little hammy, it's a little over the top. Um, But I think that also, he. I think he's probably playing a character, to me, he's probably playing a character that is so opposite of himself. I bet George Clooney is real fun to hang out with. I bet he's really like a people person. That's kind of what I get, you know what I mean? And watching this character who's very cold, unlikable, practically irredeemable, because if there was another person playing this character, you would just hate him. You would be completely repulsed. And you're supposed to almost be like that. But because George Clooney is playing this character, you let it slide and you almost, it it just works that way. And if it was, Mm because I mean, like George Clooney has done some kind of ridiculous stuff. I mean, George Clooney played Batman in a ridiculous version of Batman. Yeah, he, he's a popular Coen Brothers, which to me, the Coen Brothers is kind of sometimes all about being over the top and being a little ridiculous. And so this role just fits so strangely almost in the filmography of George Clooney that um, I really, it's one of my favorite, it might be one of my favorite uh, acting portrayals that I've ever seen, maybe, almost. Huh. I mean, 
he also did Oh Brother or Art Thou, which is pretty high up there on my. On my well, list, see, so. I I don't know. I watched that now. We actually watched it the other day when I was at my when I was at our parents' house. It was on TV, and I just look at it. and I'm like, look at George Clooney hamming up the whole time it's, that he's on here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, All right, um, but and he what? really and he even uh, just to finish up, I think his portrayal. He really. He doesn't play the change of heart of Ryan over the top either, I think. I think he almost plays it as this change in Ryan catches him off guard. And he, it's actually a very low-key change almost that I think George Clooney really does. He does a lot without having to do a lot, it feels like. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's very natural almost. And so I just am surprised at how it feels like Clooney really gets the character here and really does a lot without having to do too much almost. Yeah. It seems like a very natural fit. And I think that's a really either George Clooney is this character and he's pretending all the other times when you see him do anything, or he's actually a really great actor and he just hits it out of the park. (laughs) Um, And I think that sort of on the same coin, we actually, that brings me to sort of, Alex, who's played by Vera Farmiga. Um, I think that this character or her performance, Vera's performance of Alex, is so intriguing because she really goes toe-to-toe with George Clooney, who is sort of like, again, like we kind of said, the most charming actor in the world. And she actually matches him if she doesn't even surpass all of these aspects of him that he does so well, which is like, his charm, his ease, his attitude, because she's basically supposed to be playing the male version of the George Clooney character. Yeah. And somehow, like, beats him, I guess, almost. If it was a game, we would say that she beat him, in a way. Um, And so I think that uh, that's a really interesting portrayal to me, too. Um, Which shows a lot of talent from her, I think. Um, Because I think that that's difficult. I think that acting across from George Clooney in the first place and holding your own is probably difficult. But then in sort of a way to even go do him one better, uh, I would assume is pretty difficult. Um, Did you have something, do you have anything about her Uh, specifically? uh, I'm not sure what I have to say about her specifically. I didn't really think about the movie in this way, but keep going, keep going. Um, to me, she really gets the humor in the fact that Ryan is sort of surprised that he's one-upped in a lot of ways by another person. Yeah. Um, so she kind of does it with a little bit of sass and a little bit of attitude that is really well done, I think. Um, and then on top of that, actually, the final act where you find out that she's sort of actually this completely different person that you had no idea about is really well done, too, because... There's enough of a difference in the Alex that we've gotten to know throughout the movie and the Alex that we see in that scene at the door and that scene when she calls him on the phone that you really realize not only was very playing the role of Alex in the first place, she actually has multiple different Alexes that she's created and they're different enough that you can see that almost in a way. Yeah, and that's why also I think that's also why it makes such a big impact is because you she's actually such so great in the role that you see in those scenes that this is a person who is completely playing you basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
It's true. And I, uh, oh, what did I want to say? Dang it. It just slipped my mind. Oh, no. I don't remember. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I, well... I just had a thought. Oh, my God. I don't know. Go ahead. Was it about her big, the big surprise reveal or about like. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just about how it reveals it reveals like George Clooney talks about the backpack the whole movie and she does a great job switching characters that it makes the whole punch of like his life is actually just like someone's not even half life like right for a fully formed a functioning adult like the what he considered his entire life was just like a one maybe a one percent not even a one percent escape yeah, like a, from this a one little percent life that he doesn't have yeah yeah right and so no like, yeah that totally makes sense he like he just realizes how heavy an empty backpack is Ooh, ooh. oh wow that was real oh, good <laughs> well that's yeah, all i had I to think, say about her yeah her performance there is what makes that really pack a punch yeah, and it's it's pretty subtle too. I think in a lot of ways that you're kind of surprised by a lot of it. Um, of course, we're t- talking about three people who all were nominated for Oscars here, uh, but I did want to get into Anna Kendrick too because I love Anna Kendrick. I think she's so fantastic. So Anna plays Natalie, um, and this was actually one of her first big roles, and she got nominated for an Oscar for it, which I think is real fun. Um, if you don't, if you're not really familiar with Anna Kendrick, you should acquaint yourself with her. She has some great comedies that she's in. She's a fantastic singer too. Really hits it out of the park on anything musical that she does. Mm-hmm. But um, I think she's great in this movie too. She is. I can think you can tell that Anna Kendrick is a really smart person in real life too. Um, she really plays that part of Natalie very well. She's very sharp, collected, assertive. She gets that aspect, but then at the same time, you're there's always just this little bit of vulnerability hanging under the surface of that mm-hmm. character yeah. that that Anna Kendrick can nail without really even doing that much. And so to me, this also I was I don't remember who won supporting actress this year. I was really hoping that Anna Kendrick would pull it out because I thought she was so great. Um, but she also manages, like I said, I think that Anna Kendrick is a really great comedic actress and she brings enough of the comedy to this character that otherwise this character would have been completely insufferable and you would not have even liked her, but Anna Kendrick knows how to hit the comedy notes in the right way that actually you kind of end up liking Natalie, even if you shouldn't have. And really all the characters do that to some extent, I think, because we're not talking about particularly pleasant people or people who are very happy themselves, but you still end up liking them all anyway. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, Did you have anything to say about Anna Kendrick? (laughs) No, just that, yeah, you start out really not liking her, and you see her character grow in a different way. Like, it's kind of parallel how um, George Clooney and Vera Farmiga's characters, like, interact and, like, what they they give to each other and what they are lacking as, I guess, as individuals. Like, you see it, like, translated between them or, like, reflected by each other. But she's in her own little world of, like, growth that she gets from, like, the mentorship and, like... Mm-hmm. kind of like tense not tense but like strained friendship between her and George Clooney and it's a different dynamic and it really rounds out the movie and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be any good without her i think she really does a great job well i think that george i think that the ryan character 
changes and the uh, Natalie character is the same person at the beginning, at the end of the movie that she is at the beginning. I think she's just afraid to be that person in a way. Yeah. So yeah, she doesn't that. change. She allows herself to be who she really is almost and to go after the yeah. things that she really wants. So yeah, nicely it's said. an interesting dichotomy between those two characters. Um, I did really want to hit very quickly on this one interesting aspect. So the interviews that occur throughout the movie of people who basically seem like are getting fired like mm-hmm. as it happens most of the time those were actually interviews with real people they were not actors um huh. so to make that sort of aspect of the movie as real as possible they actually filmed some a set of interviews in st louis and a set in detroit um they put an ad in the paper for a documentary about job loss and they had people respond to it. I think they interviewed 60 people and 22 of them are included in the movie. And so they actually did call these people, real people into an interview. They interviewed them for about 10 minutes about what it was like when they lost their job and the the economy that was actually going on in the time. And then at the end, they would fire them on camera and they would either ask them to respond how they actually did when they lost their job or in the way that they wish they had. So most of those times that, not the times that you see George Clooney or Anna Kendrick interacting with the person. Those are all actors, but sort of sometimes when you just see people talking about how they like getting fired, how they felt, how they're feeling in that moment, some of those were really true. And it was really like, those were people that that had actually happened to. And I love that aspect of it because I think it's so authentic. I think it really adds a real realistic piece to the movie and I bet that if you had actors that would never have come off the same way. No. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it does. It's uh, it's the more memorable, like little twist, not twist, but I guess not plot twist, but twist to the way the movie is cut together and presented to an audience that separates it from a normal kind of indie movie that falls in the same little vein, because it does, those do feel authentic. And it's, it's crazy to me to hear that they are that authentic because it adds like, it adds emotional weight to what happens with the characters and the way they're feeling. When you hear those people actually give you those emotions that seem too well to be written because they literally are too real to be yeah, written. Yeah, exactly. They're real people just <laughs> showing, talking about how that say. happened to them and how they felt. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're just getting like real emotions out of real people and nothing can replace that. So it's, cool. and I think that if this movie didn't have those, it would, it would again be very different. I think that to me, again, like I was kind of saying, this movie really, all, all of that stuff the act you know the portrayal from the main characters those interviews sort of and quickly to talk about sort of the direction of the movie all of those things come together i think perfectly to really nail what the movie is going for at the end of the day um i think that the way that jason reitman it's not too overt most of his direction doesn't come off and i'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because i don't think that a lot of it is completely over the top and a huge sort of um, individualized stamp. There's not a whole lot of that. Um, But he definitely captures different moods at various times very well because when they're moving through the airport or when George Clooney is sort of narrating Ryan's life, he can get these really quick clipped, like short little camera shots 
that really mimic the quick pace of traveling and those things. And then on the other hand, sometimes the camera is very, when it's on the characters, he allows the characters to be seen by the camera and for the actors to really perform for the camera a lot of the time. Um, which is really, I think, I think that's not always the easiest thing to do either because I I think a lot of the, sometimes your actors aren't that great. And if you just leave them there in front of the camera, it will show through. I think people can, I think people are a surprising judge of that more so than they think necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's difficult, but I think that if you have really talented people performing, then it works very well. And it actually makes your movie really great which is sort of an underrated thing that we don't always talk about actor portrayals a lot on here necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely an important piece that can make or break your movie in a way that we don't always discuss. Um, And then even sometimes, sometimes it's very uncomfortable. He really captures well when they're firing somebody and it's uncomfortable. He lets you be uncomfortable watching it. Um, Yeah. So I think he really, I think Jason Reitman got a really great feel almost in every different scene of what emotion he wanted to capture or what he really needed out of the scene. And he really puts that on film without sort of uh, influencing it too much on his own. It seems very natural. And it seems like he really knew what he wanted out of every little aspect of the movie to me yeah i can get behind that Uh, i don't i don't really have anything to add um i i watched this movie and i to give you my final uh my final score i go for that like an an eight out of ten so it's a there's some turbulence but overall it's a smooth satisfying (laughs) flight and it uh I, I see a lot of the points that you've made and a lot of those points I couldn't have presented them to you now. And I haven't, I haven't said a lot, like you've dominated the conversation and made a lot of really good, um, just little, uh, tokens out of what, what goes right and wrong in the movie and like how the characters are well-rounded and balanced and like, you know, use each other and how they're all really well acted. And those are the strengths that I think I gathered out of the movie after it ended. And then also the importance of those inserts that are, were real conversations. That was something that I didn't even know. It really does. It's an emotional movie in a way that's like, it's not easy to compare it to anything else. I like to compare things a lot and I really can't compare this one to anything else in particular, even that this uh, writer guy has done before. I like, yeah. I just don't think there's anything exactly similar and it it deserves a a watch at at any rate. Even though I don't think it's the best movie ever, I think it's I think it's unique, even in a way that I wouldn't have expected, in a way that is really satisfying emotionally and also just sad. Like it makes me deeply sad. Like even sad movies that I talk about that make me sad don't make me feel as emotionally empty as like you know, sad Clooney does in this. Sure. It's a different, it's a different, it's a different mood and it's really cool. Well, I think that, um, you should not be sad because at the end of the movie, most of the characters aren't sad. They have been changed in a positive way. Um, I actually, to speak on what you said, I think that this is a movie that actually has a high rewatchability factor to it. I think that you can... So, for instance, I've seen this movie several times before. You've only seen it just now for the first time. And I think that it actually gets better on a rewatch almost, which is not necessarily true of all movies. 
But I think that because you learn to appreciate those things sort of that I brought up, that maybe is that I will absolutely agree are can be hard to see the first time that you watch it because it's almost like you don't know what to be watching for in a way. Sometimes movies are, they get better and better with repeat viewings because you understand more of what's going on or you understand more of what to look for. Um, one of those movies that I would bring up is Inglorious Bastards. I hated that movie the first time I watched it, and now it's my favorite Tarantino because the more that you watch it, the more that you get out of it, I think. So mm. I would almost say that maybe this movie could be one of those movies that is sort of like that. Um, and I think that Jason Reitman just really does a great job, based on what I've seen from him, of sometimes telling people stories that you wouldn't ever have expected to make an impact on you and sort of very specific stories about very specific people, but that you can somehow connect to. And you know me, if, I mean, I've talked a lot on here that character is big for me and people are big for me. And that's what I enjoy a lot about a movie. And so I think that you can see on here that that's sort of why I enjoy this movie so much is because I think that some of these characters are really interesting and they're, sort of evolution that they go through is really cool. And I like seeing that in people, I guess. And so I think that these are interesting people in this movie, even though they're not real, <laughs> uh, but I like their hmm. stories and I like uh, sort of what they learn, I guess the lesson that they learned, I think is uh, I, I can agree with those themes of that. You actually need people and you need um, satisfaction out of your life. And that maybe your job isn't always the most important thing uh, but maybe that people and your experiences are instead. Well said. I uh, I don't have anything to add. I think you've done a good job. I don't either. That was the theme. That last sentence that I said, theme of the movie, everybody, because <laughs> we didn't cover it very much. Cool. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, that's all I got, I think. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us at the Popcorn Brothers Movie Club again for another week. You can follow us online on Twitter and on Instagram at PBMC Podcast. And you can email us at pbmcpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week when I bring Isaac into the greatest fantasy universe to ever exist oh, with Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien's classic. Speaking of which, Tolkien, uh, Christopher Tolkien released J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fall of Gondolin today. I saw the that. Last book I saw that, that you said something about that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to I go I should have known that this is what I was getting. <laughs> it's the perfect week to get into that and we'll, I'll talk about all the books and all the movies. We'll, we'll get the whole thing. But um, until then, thanks so much for listening to us and uh, catch you next week. I'm Eli. I'm Isaac. And this has been The Club.